Hello and welcome to episode 78 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson. How are you, Bryson? Great to be here, Mark. How are you? I'm doing very well. We've got two Blue Jay games under our belts, two out of 60, and we have another one coming up in just about an hour as we record this, but it's been very exciting. What are your some of your first impressions from the I guess, 18 innings of Blue Jays baseball that we've seen so far. Well, it's, let's just say it hasn't been stress-free. Uh, going back to the first game, first of all, it was great to see, I would say, in the first couple innings, an actual Blue Jays pitcher go, having a you know a three-up, three-down inning, throwing like 10 pitches. So that was very reassuring to see, something that we haven't seen a whole lot of out of the past couple years. Uh, and then going, you know, going throughout the rest of the game, obviously Ryu kind of ran out of gas around the fifth inning. Which is, in, which is to be expected in the first start, so I'm not too worried about uh, what happened in that inning with the uh, three-run home run he gave up. But other than that, you know, I, I think the team looks good. Uh, you know, going through the top of the order, some people obviously didn't have the best starts in those first two games, but hey, uh, there's 50, 58 more games to go now. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been really cool to finally see baseball back, and I think it does help, though, to be honest with you, Mark. It helps to start the season at the Trop just because, well, A, there's no fans, so it's kind of... You know, it didn't really feel that, you know, unusual for me just because it's usually that quiet. But the only thing that kind of uh, was confusing me a bit was the artificial crowd noise because I thought we were trying to make it as quiet as possible or as realistic as possible. But other than that, uh, good to see baseball back. Uh, first of all, I, Mark, I'm sure you were kind of freaking out too in that eighth inning with uh, Rafael Dallas on the mound. Uh, that was a little bit of a... first. Well, yeah, that was the first time this year we've all kind of... Well, I mean, it felt like a regular, you know high leverage situation where I was really nervous because again you can't be blowing leads and you can't be blowing games in a 60 game season so yet you know the first game was is just as important as it would be a couple weeks from now where the Jays where the Jays would be so very you know very nerve-wracking and then of course if you move on to yesterday uh, the Jays were in it there's no question about that that the bats were definitely struggling yesterday a little bit Uh, Ryan Yarbrough had a very good start, as well as Matt Shoemaker did, so it was unfortunate to see that they wasted a start out of Matt Shoemaker, but hey, good to see him back after 15 months. Uh, you know, he Shoemaker, we, we, we know the story with his career. He's had a bunch of injuries, and he just doesn't seem to catch a break, so you hope this is the year that he can finally get that break that he's looking for, because he definitely has the potential. Uh, his starts last year, he made about four or five, and he looked good from there. He looked sharp yesterday, and then uh, the eighth inning meltdown, or yeah, the eighth inning, Eighth inning meltdown would happen yesterday with Sam Gavilio. Uh, you hope that you know if if you don't want that to happen. With all due respect to Sam Gavilio, he can't be working high leverage situations every single game this year. But hey, uh, Joe Siddle made a very good point on Sportsnet yesterday following the game, saying you know Charlie Montoyo's hands are tied. These pitchers aren't exactly stretched out to begin with, and we're not at that point yet. We're going to be see you're going to see relievers coming in back to back days. So I think uh, it's definitely unusual to see that you know in in that scenario yesterday. Uh, Montoyo's hands were pretty much tied. Everything's pretty much limited. So that's something unusual because that's obviously what spring training's for. So hopefully within the next few weeks, it kind of gets back to normal in in which we see how, you know, the bullpen's used. But hey, after the first two days, it's been a very fun few days, especially around the league as well. The Yankees and Nationals games have been very entertaining. And uh, yeah, other than that, it's been really cool with the home runs. Everything's just back to normal and it feels really good. And, uh, you know, it's only game three today. So um very, very fun weekend uh, for me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to watch real baseball. And you mentioned, I guess, kind of the biggest storyline from this weekend for the Blue Jays was 
coming in yesterday's game. I think it was the seventh inning when Sam Gaviglio came out. He blew the relief appearance that he was making um, and, you know, gave up that two-run double, or excuse me, two-run triple, and then the Bach that got the third run home and made it a 4-1 to ball game for the Rays. That's kind of like the big thing that I think a lot of people are talking about right now. But before we talk about it, I want to talk about the good stuff from this weekend because it's been awesome to see baseball back and you mentioned Matt Shoemaker he was incredible in his performance his velocity was up last year you mentioned only five starts or four full starts a fifth partial start before he was injured in that fifth start his velocity was lower than it typically was I think it was around 90 then he topped out at around 94 he only threw a couple pitches at 94 but in this start we saw already a few pitches at 94 so it was good to see Shoemaker looking healthy working efficiently on the mound having good velocity and hopefully it bodes well for the rest of his season so that was really encouraging um, I'd say Hyojin Ryu was a little bit underwhelming in his first start. It's not like he was horrible. It's just mm-hmm. we all have such high expectations for him that, you know, it wasn't mind-blowing what he did. He went, I think, what was it, 4.1, 4.2 innings, gave yeah. up three runs. Um, so, yeah, like it was it was a, a mediocre start, but I think we were all expecting so much of him that we were kind of disappointed, but I was really happy with the bullpen. You mentioned kind of the late-inning scare by the Rays in Game 1, but at the same time, we know the bullpen is going to be a weakness of this team, and I was really encouraged that we saw you know, Ken Giles, Jordan Romano, even Rafael Delis to some extent, although he did make some mistakes, come out. Oh, I think, was Anthony Kay coming out in relief in that game? I can't AJ remember. AJ Cole, AJ Cole, yeah. AJ Cole, that's who it was. Um, but it was really encouraging to see all these guys coming out and doing well or relatively well when we thought that the bullpen was going to be a weakness of this team. But then yesterday on Saturday, we did see it become a weakness. Sam Gaviglio giving up the uh, the three runs. It was tied one to one. And then for some reason, Charlie Montoyo brought in Sam Gaviglio in a high leverage situation, even though I don't think really anyone except for Montoyo really likes Sam Gaviglio I mean he's not horrible he's just not the guy I would bring in what do you I mean you mentioned the justification Mm -hmm. in terms of Charlie Montoyo doesn't really have that many arms to work with but what do you think of the decision to bring Sam Gaviglio into that situation even though you know to me it seems like there are better arms available that you could bring in yeah and just to correct myself too uh the very first game it was actually Anthony Bass instead of AJ Cole so AJ Cole was yesterday and people, that's what people were questioning because A.J. Cole came in and he had a quick 1-2-3 inning. And then all of a sudden, uh, Sam Gaviglio started warming up very fast. And I think we all kind of had the expectation that he was coming in based off of the, or how fast he was, you know, warming up. And for us Blue Jays fans and for you too, Mark, we know Sam, Sam Gaviglio has been here for about three years now. And we know what he brings, right? He's, he's not... He's not spectacular, but he's not horrible. He's an he's an average to mediocre or mediocre to an average pitcher, and situations like this is is what's going to happen. You know, time in and time out uh, for Sam Gaviglio. You know, after the the first two runs he gave up, he just completely seemed out of sorts, which led to the balk, which is something you rarely see in Major League Baseball, but it happens here and there. But those are three costly runs in a game where every game matters. You can't look. You know, if you look back at this from a couple months from now, near the end of September, this this could be one of the deciding factors. I know it's just one game, but it's still something, and it's still very important. And maybe, maybe 
you know, Montoyo's hands were tied in, in such where you don't want to bring in relievers for a second inning or a relievers for, you know, a back-to-back game. You know, an example would be bringing Anthony Bass in yesterday. But, of course, uh, the Jays want to be cautious with the relievers, and they don't want to bring in um, pitchers two straight days, and they don't want pitchers pitching for two straight innings. So, you know, at, when you go to the sense of it, you can, you can understand why Montoyo did it, but the only thing that we don't understand is why why him over other options like you said mark you know other other than him you know another guy was shun yamaguchi but um you know he and along with gavilio can pitch multiple innings and montoyo confirmed yesterday that yamaguchi is actually going to be the long man to start so that obviously corrected why he didn't come in but he definitely could have been one of the people that came in but you know sam gavilio is somebody that charlie montoyo really likes he's been raving about him through back to march through spring training and he was raving about him through summer camp and you know a lot of people you know, all, all due respect to Charlie Montoya because I think he's done a fantastic job in you know in his year and a bit here now. Um, people don't understand what the you know what, why what what does he see in him so much that you know for him to be trusted in high leverage situations? Because I tell you what, if this continues to happen, you're gonna you're gonna see this time in and time out uh, from Gavilio. Unfortunately, you, just, you know it's got nothing, no disrespect to him, but that's just that's what he brings to the table. So. I don't know what the future plan is when people or when things starting to loosen up in terms of players coming in or pitchers coming in back-to-back days or uh, pitchers pitching multiple innings. It'll be interesting to see what Cavillio's role is there, but it definitely wasn't a good start and for his first appearance on the mound, especially because, well, A, he came into a high-leverage situation. We didn't see that a whole lot last year. But, you know, yesterday, like I said, you can feel the tension. You can feel the... You know, you can feel the. I mean, from my perspective, I was I was nervous as heck when everything was going on. It it, it almost felt like like it, it felt like a September game um, for a postseason race, in my opinion. It just it takes me back to 2015 and 2016. I know it's crazy to say, but everyone knows the circumstances off this year, and this is this is what's going to happen. So I don't know why it was Gavilio in particular, but I understand the move. You know to not bring out AJ Cole for a second inning, but Mark, I don't know. Did you have anybody in particular that you wanted to see? Um, from what I saw, I was hoping to see Yamaguchi a bit, but, and then of course, um, who else was there? I, you know, Ken Giles obviously is the closer. I mean, it, there's a chance he could have came in in the eighth because I think it was the eighth inning, but if it was the seventh inning, then forget that. But, you know, there's other people that pitched on, uh, on Friday that Montoyo didn't want to bring in for a second straight day. So I don't know uh, what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, to me, I just, I guess I logically understand the rationale, but I don't really buy the excuse. Yeah. Like, I, to me, like, this is an expanded roster. You know, you have 30 players. I think it's something like 15 players are pitchers. And of that, you know, you have five starters and you have 10 guys in the bullpen. Out of 10 guys, do you really not have an option after a single day of baseball to go to out of the bullpen besides your long man who in most cases, is probably not going to be the best guy to go to. Like, to me, I don't really buy the excuse that Sam Gavilio was the only guy available in the bullpen. Even if you went to someone like Shun Yamaguchi, I think Shun Yamaguchi is probably better than Sam Gavilio. Yeah. So I don't understand, and I don't really buy the excuse that there was no one else available. And yes, it is, you know, coming right out of a abridged spring training slash summer camp. So yeah, not all the pitchers are going to be fully stretched out. Not all the pitchers are going to be able to go in back-to-back days, but I, it still seems very far-fetched that you couldn't throw someone like Anthony Bass out there. You couldn't throw someone like AJ Cole out there for a second inning of work. Um, I, 
yeah, I, it's obviously easier in hindsight to look back at this and say, well, Charlie Montoya was wrong, but I think Charlie Montoya was wrong. And, you know, a lot of people have been complaining about Montoya and saying, is this really better than John Gibbons? I think John Gibbons would have made the same mistake. I think John Gibbons' managing style was to run through as many relievers as you could until you hit someone who wasn't doing well and then the game was blown. And that was one of my major frustrations with Gibbons was his management of the bullpen. And I think he would have made the same mistake, but that doesn't negate you know, my frustration with Montoyo in this situation. Yeah, and if you want to look at the starting pitchers, first of all, Matt Shoemaker didn't look too bad. Like, he looked like he was fine in terms of where he was with this pitch count and being stretched out. Like, I know that there wasn't a, um, you know, there was a four-month layoff, yes, but I'm sure every single pitcher, every major league pitcher, they were doing something. You know, nobody was sitting at home doing nothing. So regardless of how creative you were or how much you were throwing, these people were all having throwing routines. We know that Ryu's been... Th- there was videos of Ryu all over um, Twitter that continuing to throw during the um, the shutdown. So all these all these pitchers were doing something. So that's that's the other thing I want to look at. I, I don't know... Like you said, maybe it's a, a big excuse to get... You know, to kind of take yourself out of the bad decision, which is very... Uh, for sure, it's possible. But at the uh, at the same time, it is it does exist in terms of their hands being tied. But like you said, Mark, it's definitely an over-exaggeration for sure in terms of that. But I think it's just that, you know, I think it's just Charlie Montoyo trying to, or, you know, people trying to understand the move to an extent where you lay him off the hook. So look, Charlie Montoyo, he still, as much as this is his second season, he still doesn't have a lot of MLB experience as the managing level. So you're going to see this still from him for a bit. And from, you know, who knows how much, how long, how much more you see this, but uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see when, once this does start to loosen up with these pitchers and their pitch counts and their workloads. And then, of course, in a couple of weeks, the, uh, the roster is going to be being uh, going to be limited to 28, I believe, and then eventually go down to 26 by sometime around September, which was 26 was supposed to be the uh, roster limit this year. It was added from last year by one. Uh, so, yeah, and then, of course, there's other people in the bullpen who we haven't even seen yet, like Wilmer Font, uh, you know, as much as people, you know, if you like him or not, he's still... Last year, he had a big role in the team in the bullpen, and I'm sure uh, this year he will. He's still on the injured list uh, for unknown reasons. And then, of course, there's other people like Ryan Barucki, but Ryan Barucki is probably going to start. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, he obviously didn't make the team. And, uh, yeah, I just I want to see other players definitely get this opportunity. You know, to tell me that, you know, like, like I said, Shun Yamaguchi is similar to Gavilio because they can definitely both be long men's out of the bullpen. So it'll be interesting to see how long before or if Charlie Montoyo eventually makes the switch and makes Gavilio the long man and Yamaguchi the, are coming in at high leverage situa- situations or whatever the heck his workload would be. But that's the, that's all we, that's what we know from San Gavilio. He's the one that he's always been the long man from these other, you know, these past three years. And he's the guy that makes the start when someone's injured. He's the guy that fills in the rotation time in a timeout. So for him to go from that role to a high leverage situation, a tie game in the seventh or eighth inning, uh, it's it's a pretty drastic change in terms of what we're used to seeing from uh, Sam Gavilio and his appearances and his workload. So that was definitely a little bit of a head scratcher. But once he was warming up that quickly, you knew he was coming in right away. And right away, um, from from my perspective, I just I knew it wasn't going to be exactly a smooth sailing, you know, towards potentially extra innings because it was it was a tie game in which the Jays tied the game. So you know, you, you, this can't be happening as much as it. Uh, this can't be happening, you know, throughout the rest of the season. So you hope that this is out of the way now, and you hope that this can slowly get better. But 
I'm not sure what I would have, you know, I'm not sure what John Gibbons would have done. I'm, I'm not even sure what I would have done. So definitely confusing, definitely uncharted territory, but you know, there's gotta be somebody else that can come in in that situation. So I, I, I don't know. Another positive to touch on after all that negative is Kevin <laughs> Biggio. Um, he's been hitting really well through the first two games. He had a home run in the first game, um, along with a single, I believe, if I remember correctly. And then yesterday in Saturday's game, he had two hits. And then we'll see what he does today by the time you're listening to this. But um, now he has been on base for 31 consecutive games dating back to last season, which is the highest current streak in the major leagues and the longest by any Blue Jay since 2016 when Jose Bautista did it. So that's a, a good piece of um, an encouraging piece of news for the Blue Jays because last year I think Biggio showed a lot of promise but he did have a lot of problems with his bat and he was kind of too patient at the plate but it's nice to see him this year maybe fixing some of those things and it is of course early you know we only have two games but I think it's a good sign from him that he has been a little bit more aggressive so far. Absolutely he has and he's somebody too that's wanting to come in and, and perform better than he did last year you know similar similar to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who you know they weren't horrible they just weren't you know they weren't to the their full potential to the ceiling from what we're, you know, what we're supposed to be seeing out of them and what people have been saying about them. So good for Biggio. And I just want to point out too, as much as Biggio struggled last year, he, like you said, he, he had he had a few upsides in his game. Of course, he hit the cycle in Baltimore last year and his OPS was almost at 800. So he was getting on base time in and time out. He, he definitely had a low batting average. It was at 234, but great to see him coming flying out of the gate. That three-run home run he had on Friday was absolutely crushed. And it was one of the deciding factors for the Jays to pull through with the victory. Um, he's definitely the one I'm choosing for my jersey. I told you guys. So, you know, he's definitely one of my new favorites. But he's also been kind of overshadowed a bit. Not to the extent, but a little bit to, to the bit from Bichette and Guerrero. So he's kind of that third guy that people know about. They talk about. But he doesn't get as much of attention as uh, Bo Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So he's kind of flying under the radar a bit. And, of course, we know what Biggio brings on the field. He can play pretty much any position, but they have him slotted at second base right now. But great to see him uh, being one of the you know one of the guys to come out of the out of the gate fast. He's one of the main pieces. He's one of the big future pieces. So I'm sure it's definitely reassuring for fans to see it. It's reassuring for me. I'm sure it's reassuring for you and Jacob as well. But, um, wow, he's definitely had a f- good few games. He's definitely been leading the team with the offense. And, um yeah, you, you hope that it continues, and you hope that the other two in Bichette and Guerrero can get going too. Bichette's kind of had a little bit of a slower start in the, the two games, same with Guerrero. So, you know, they haven't been horrible, but that's definitely the way they've started. But Biggio's definitely been the best one so far. And, uh, yeah, very reassuring to see. And I, I do think that this is going to be a better season for him. I'm not going to say he's going to be, you know, elite, elite, but he's definitely has the potential to you know, get, have that OPS over 800, have the batting average over 250, you know, maybe hit around seven to 10 home runs, which is definitely possible. The RBIs uh, will definitely be up there. So I I really like uh, the way it's looking for Biggio and he's definitely one of these main pieces. So people, you know, don't sleep on him and don't forget about him when you're like, you're thinking of Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because Biggio is also a high threat and a major uh, piece of this club. The Blue Jays finally have a home. They announced on the day before their opening day on Major League Baseball's opening day that they will be playing the regular season in Buffalo 
They're playing home games there as soon as they can clear up all the issues, which is either going to be July 31st, I think, at the earliest, or August 11th at the latest is when their first home game is going to be there. Um, This has been a very long saga for the Blue Jays, for Major League Baseball, for the country of Canada, for, you know, every complication along the way, whether it be Pittsburgh, whether it be Baltimore. Um, It has been a wild story, you know, kicked out of Toronto, kicked out of Pittsburgh, kicked out of, to some extent, Baltimore, and now they're landing in Buffalo. Um, How does all of this hurt the Blue Jays? We've heard some people talk about how it gives them a competitive advantage, but I think at the very least, not knowing where you're playing up until literally opening day gives them at least some sort of disadvantage. How much does it hurt them, if at all? Well, first of all, I'm very excited for the home opener on Tuesday in Washington, so that'll be very Mm -hmm. good to happen. But um, in terms of Buffalo, I just I feel bad for Buffalo to an extent because I feel like Buffalo's getting... I don't feel like... You know, I feel like they're getting a lot of hate, um, you know, more than they should about their facility, their complex, because... First of all, AAA Buffalo, their stadium, I think it's Salem Field now. Mm -hmm. It used to be Coca-Cola Field. But Salem Field, it's one of the biggest AAA fields there. And it was actually built uh, because Buffalo was looking or was interested at the time. I don't know if they are now, but they're interested at the time of, you know, being an MLB city. So I think Buffalo is definitely the place they should have been. Uh, Obviously, Toronto, we, you know, definitely feel like idiots now after we both agreed that last week it was going to be Toronto. And, of course, right after we got off or we finished the episode, they got denied by the federal government. But uh, it was kind of overshadowed as well because, you know, Pittsburgh came out of nowhere, Baltimore came out of nowhere. We never really even spoke about other MLB sites that the Jays could have played on. The only one that we really mentioned, it was very brief, was Tropicana Field. And other than that, none of us really even thought that that was even going to be in the realm of possibilities. But then uh, we all knew Buffalo was one of the plan Bs. It was always discussed as a plan B. And finally... Uh, the Jays end up back where they should have been for, in my opinion, for, um, you know, from going back to last week in Buffalo. So, yes, a lot of work needs to be done. Uh, the lighting needs to be at MLB standards. Of course, the grounds crew has to get the field ready. Uh, there's only, like, I believe there's only two clubhouses there. And first, and the clubhouses itself, they're very um, spaced together. They're very, it's very, it's a very uh, tight clubhouse. So, the, and of course, with social distancing measures this year, they have to, be very creative with that and they got a lot of work to do in order to make that um you know work for the players and uh the coaches and people you know people all over all around the diamond but i don't know how much of a disadvantage it really gives them it's just i just feel like buffalo's getting too much hate for you know something that they don't deserve because yes of course they, it is a minor league stadium no one's arguing that and no one's arguing that it's definitely a little bit of a disadvantage just in terms of, I guess, the resources they have. I know they've been, I believe they've been in contact actually with the Buffalo Sabres of the NHL to, to p- potentially use some of their facilities. So that would definitely help. And who knows how far that'll go. But that's definitely something that would be, um, you know, something that would help the team in terms of resources and training. But, you know, Buffalo, it, like, it's one of the biggest AAA stadiums. I just, I don't mind it. It's closest to Toronto and it's definitely the place they should have been other than Toronto itself. So I'm, I'm happy with the move. And the only thing I can think of that was par- probably a disadvantage is, first of all, in terms of in these players' minds, they had no idea where they were going to play baseball a few days ago. And we're, we're at game three of the season already. We don't even know when they're going to be starting in Buffalo to begin with. Like you said, Mark, July 11th. And if that's not up to speed by then, uh, we're looking at August 11th. So that's a pretty big gap from you know July 11th to um, August 1st or sorry. But... 
I don't know how quick it's going to be ready, but you know, the players definitely were, it definitely impacted the players just because they didn't know where they were going to be. You know, they have families. Uh, there was potentially going to live out of a suitcase all of this year. So that would have been horrible. And it was actually discussed that the Jays would have played every single game on the road. And then the games that they were supposed to play at home, they would just go to the opponent's ballpark and play as the home team. So that's not really a home game for them. It would be really, really bizarre to play all 60 games like that. So I'm just happy that they found a home and they have somewhere to play. We don't know when they're going to be playing home games in Buffalo. Uh, it definitely won't be this Tuesday as Washington uh, the final two games of that series, the Jays will act as the home team in Washington. But I don't know. I just, I'm happy that they found a home. And I think Buffalo deserves a little more credit. And uh, I think Buffalo is a place they should have been other than Toronto. And I've said that as the plan B option. But in terms of a disadvantage, I don't know how much of a disadvantage it brings. Maybe a bit. But it's still an, it's it's still a, a very nice ballpark for AAA standards. And once it meets MLB standards with the lighting and everything, I I don't think it'll be... Um, you know, I think I think fans will be happy from what they see. Yeah, it's I, I don't think the, the competitive disadvantage in this comes from the ballpark itself because as you mentioned, Salem Field, it was built with the intention of hosting a major league team because Buffalo was trying to get a major league team and I don't know if it was the late eighties, early nineties, but um I think when it was built, it is like you said, it is the largest minor league ballpark currently active in terms of actively associated with a major league baseball team. So there's that going for it um, in terms of it has a very, very big footprint in terms of minor league ballparks. It has bigger facilities than normal ballparks have in the minor leagues. And then another thing like since it was meant to be a major league ballpark or at least expandable to a major league ballpark, it was built with the intention of adding an upper deck. So it's kind of like expandable in that way. So again, this is a facility that was meant for major league baseball. So I think the impression that, you know, Salem field was really bad to be playing at and that the Blue Jays didn't want to play there just came from, I think it was Randall Grishik who said that this was the worst case scenario. And I think everyone kind of just ran with it from that point because it was kind of just the impression that yeah we don't want to be playing here it's horrible but at the same time I feel like even if you know I I think the best option for the Blue Jays in this scenario was playing in Pittsburgh even if you were playing in Pittsburgh like you're going to be sharing a clubhouse part of the time with another team you're not going to be really able to call this home because it's the site of another team I I honestly feel like playing in Buffalo helps them in terms of it's their space. Like, this is home for them. They're not sharing it with anyone. This is their place to call home. Their, I don't know, their, 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 you know, private space that they can settle into. They can get their families there. Um, it's, I don't know if this really matters, but it's kind of close to Toronto, right? It's only a mm-hmm. three-hour drive, so I don't know if that makes any difference in terms of you know fans being happy that it's closer or players being happy that it's more familiar area um but i i honestly think the ballpark is not that big of a problem i think the main disadvantage here for the blue jays is like you said the fact that they just didn't know where they were playing they couldn't you know settle in they couldn't you know have their home and bring their families to Buffalo beforehand. I think that's the main disadvantage. They couldn't set themselves up and be aware of where they're playing 
beforehand. And I don't know how much that hurts them. I have to imagine it's hurt them a little bit. But then again, you heard, you know, yesterday in the broadcast, Dan Schulman said that this team has bonded a lot. Like they have bonded over their experience of not having a home, having to quarantine in the Rogers Center for two weeks, and they've become really tight, which is a really positive thing, especially for a team that, you know, has not been together for a very long time. The longest tenured Blue Jay on this roster is Anthony Alford, who came up with the Blue Jays in 2017. After that, it's Tay Oscar Hernandez, who, you know, came to the Blue Jays at the trade deadline in 2017. So it's a very new team, and it's been very encouraging to see this sort of bonding experience. But um, again, I think the main disadvantage comes from that experience. Um, Although I should mention another good thing, Kevin Biggio said on, uh, I believe it was Baseball Central yesterday with Mm -hmm. Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker. He was talking about how the infield is great at Salem Field and also that, you know, like the New York Yankees are not going to want to come here. Like they're not going to be having fun going to a minor league ballpark. And that maybe gives the Blue Jays a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, for sure it does. And that was I was actually going to read that quote to you, Mark. Mm-hmm. And it just brings the difference of, I guess, when you look at it, too, from the veterans on the team and the young players, it's obviously, the veterans obviously aren't exactly on board, like you said, with what Randall Gritchick said. So maybe this is a thing where it's just kind of the players judging a book by its cover. You know, I know they, you know, I know veterans were previously, they obviously went through the minor leagues. So Randall Gritchick's been through the minor leagues, but... You know, players like Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., they were there not even a year ago. So mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, I, I think, you know, just give the give the field a chance. Because what Biggio is saying, too, about the infield there, it's been one of the best he's ever played on. That's definitely reassuring for sure. Uh, gives credit to the grounds crew and, it, you know, gives us hope that this could be a home that the Jays, you know, will like this year. So I hope these players can just give it a chance. And I think it's just the thing where, you know, they've been in the major leagues so long. And then when you think of a minor league stadium now, they kind of... You know, they're not amused by it or amazed by it at all. But, yeah, the only thing that would pretty much hurt this team would be, the, you know, the mental side of it, like you said. Like, even Charlie Montoyo said uh, right away, he said, well, at least we know where we're playing. Now we can stop talking about it. And then even Kevin Biggio was saying, you know, how the players were just tired of all the talk. You know, they just want to play. So maybe that was the only thing that was just me- kind of mentally a drag for them. But in terms of playing the games, I, I, I don't know how you see it. I don't know how anybody would see it as a disadvantage. Uh, in terms of playing the games, because it, from the points that we all just said, and if this team can potentially have a good season, what a story this would be for a team that was kicked out of Toronto or kicked out of Canada, kicked out of uh, Pennsylvania, potentially gonna was gonna get kicked out of Maryland, and you know they revert back to Buffalo, which is closest to Toronto, like you said, so it makes sense, and to play at a minor league stadium, quote unquote but was built to be a major league stadium, um, it, it would be it would be an amazing story. It definitely would. So I, I don't know uh, what the reaction will be eventually from the players when they get there, but based off of what we've seen, the younger players are excited for it or they don't mind it, and uh, the veteran players are the ones that are kind of scratching their heads a bit. But I think when everybody gets there, I think it'll be okay. And hopefully we can definitely put this uh, put this to bed. Mark, you know, I mentioned to you right before we recorded that this – this is the final time that we can talk about this because, you know, I'm sure we're all getting, we're both of us definitely annoyed with it now. Uh, this has been going on for multiple months now in terms of where they're going to play. So it's it's definitely reassuring that we can put this to bed. Uh, the players can focus on playing 
and uh, they can use this to to their advantage, Mike. This is like you said, this is a home stadium where everything is theirs. They don't have to share everything when they're going to a place like Pittsburgh or Baltimore if they wanted to. And yeah, uh, you know, and in terms of for the New York Yankees who don't want to play at a minor league stadium, oh well, right? Who cares? Honestly, who cares what about the New York Yankees in terms of all the privileges they get to begin with? But it, you know, I just give Buffalo a chance, and I'm sure. Everyone, or at least the fans, I haven't really seen any backlash from the fans with Buffalo, but it's been more of the players or the veteran players. But hey, it's reassuring to hear that the the infield at Salem Field is really good, you know, is good and up to speed and could be MLB ready, which is very good. And yeah, you know, the the Jays finally can call some place home this year. Uh, who knows what would happen in October if they made the playoffs? The, the federal government did say they'd reevaluate, so you can't even rule baseball out of Toronto this year alone. But for the regular season. Uh, I'm okay with calling them the Buffalo Blue Jays, honestly. But look, nothing's nothing's uh, perfect and nothing's assuring for them to the point where they feel absolutely comfortable. I'm just happy that they can finally, you know, they were saying how they brought a home suitcase and an away suitcase. I'm happy that they can finally bring a home suitcase and keep it in Buffalo, which is definitely good. Because if this team was playing on the road, then then the actual disadvantages that definitely comes into play. That would that's the one that's the thing that we should be talking about, not the dis disadvantages of playing in Buffalo, the what if, if they had to play every single game on the road. So we should be all, we, sh- we should all be thankful for that, and I'm sure the players are too. Yeah, could you imagine how horrible that would be, you know, having to, to get up and move every three or four days to a different city? Like, that's a real disadvantage. That would be really, really bad for the Blue Jays. And I think in that case, it'd, I like I'd be ready to write off this season. We mm-hmm. talked last week about like what happens if Blue Jays go like 15 and 45. Like if they were playing every game on the road, I would expect them to go 15 and 45. So at least they have a home now. And you mentioned this conversation is finally over at least for a few months because we may be having it in whatever September, October, if the Blue Jays make the postseason. Um, but that's another conversation that we did want to have because. The postseason is now expanded. Um, it has been expanded to 16 teams from the previous 10. It's now eight teams from each league that are going to be making the postseason. It's going to be now the first two teams in each division plus two wild card teams that are making it. And of course, a wild card acts normally outside of the top two teams from each division. So, knowing these new provisions and knowing the new spots available four teams to make the postseason. Do you see the Blue Jays making it this year? I know we had our predictions last week as, no, the Blue Jays won't make it, but there are new spots available now, and I think, honestly, the chances of the Blue Jays making the postseason have gone up dramatically. So do you think they will make it? I absolutely do. I I do think they will make it uh, if they continue to play like they did on Friday, which is stating the obvious, but they definitely have the potential to do it. We've discussed this, and uh, going back to when you know the MLB and the MLBPA were jarring at each other for months, um, we knew we we all had the expectation that when they came back, uh, expanded playoffs would be a thing, and then of course uh, Commissioner Manfred had to implement the season, so then it was written off. And then I did mention that um, they're leaving the door open for expanded playoffs, and hey, they actually the MLBPA and the MLB finally made a deal, and <laughs> it took them so many months to finally make a deal, and they made it just before first pitch on Thursday night in Washington, so that was critical. And I, I, I love the expanded playoffs, Mark. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just think that, you know, this gives more teams a reason to compete. You know, for team, you know, for player, you know, I've seen people complain about it, saying it's 
driving away the you know the passion for the sport in the regular season. I think the opposite. I think that if you have 16 teams making the playoffs, that means less tanking. That means more interest from fans. That means more attendance. I just think it's a whole it's it's a it's a W all around for the MLB. And you know it's definitely here to stay. Let's not act like. If this is a success this season, you know, it's definitely going to be in the next CBA for sure. But for 2021, uh, don't be surprised it'll be there as well. But for the Blue Jays standards, this even this helps them even more. And Blue Jays fans should be the ones that love this even more because of the division they play in. You know, you're behind the New York Yankees, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Boston Red Sox. Those are three teams already where you're, you, you know, you just shrug your shoulders, put your arms up in the air. Like, why? So in terms of that... Uh, the Jays definitely have a chance to make it, like you said. So how it works is the top two teams from each division make it, and then the final two spots are just determined by overall record um, throughout all of the American League and then the, the National League on the other side. So in terms of this, you know, I, the only way I see the Jays making the playoffs, I guess theoretically they can come fourth and make it, but that'd be very tough. Obviously, they'd have to win a bunch of games, and Boston would have to be better than them, and then they'd have to be better than the other American League teams. But... Uh, I've said this two weeks ago, and I'll stay. I'll stand by it. The X factor for them is outplaying Boston. Uh, it really is. And if they can come third, they definitely have a great chance to get in. But if they don't outplay Boston, um, I don't see it happening, unfortunately. But I do think this team has the potential to do that and stay with them uh, in this two-month pennant race. So it'll be very interesting to see. But I don't see them, other than outplaying Boston, I don't see them making the playoffs. And if they do, I really do think they will make the playoffs. And it's really cool how they're doing this. As they're doing a wild card series now, it's like a three-game series, and to limit travel, all three games are going to be at the higher seeds ballpark, which I'm fine with. But I really like the idea of the expanded playoffs. I think it's long overdue, and I'm glad that they're gonna. And first of all, what 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 well, you know? Not there's not a better year to do it than 2020 because of the 60-game season to begin with. Let's make it even more crazy and um, unpredictable. And pretty much, it's any teams involved in this, no matter who you are for now, give it a week and then we'll see who's out of it by then because we should have a, a better idea. But look, the Jays are still on the hump of going from rebuilding to competing, and we know that they're closer to competing now than they are or where they were a few years ago, and they're definitely taking steps. And, you know, if they, if they want to, if they made the playoffs this year, that you can, you know, you can't imagine how much more of a step this would take them for these younger players to get some postseason experience. I know that's a few months down the road, but the chances are significantly higher, mathematically for sure. But, you know, I was worried about the Jays being that, you know, having a winning record, but being overshadowed by the Yankees, the Rays, and potentially Boston. But the X factor for me is Boston. If they can outplay Boston or stick with Boston, then I, I see them making the postseason likely. But if they don't outplay Boston, then, I, you know, I'm still on the same opinion as I was last week is that I just don't see it happening. Uh, very rare for them to come forth and get in because of the other two divisions in the American League, but I'm just very excited for the expanded playoffs, and you guys know this, that uh, I've, you know, I'm, I just something that I just wanted to see, and I'm glad that we get to see it now, and I hope it's here to stay, and you have to imagine it's here to stay, especially if it's uh, a success. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you that it all depends on Boston. If they do better than Boston, then Odds are they're going to make it into the postseason, but if they don't, then they aren't going to because there's no way that they are, that both of the two wild card teams are going to be coming from the American League East. I don't, I don't think that's possible at all. But mm-hmm. um, bottom line, I would say no. I don't think the Blue Jays are going to make the postseason this year, just because obviously this increases their chances a lot. But I'm not confident enough 
that they actually will. But um, in terms of expanded playoffs overall, I you know I'm conflicted about this. Mm-hmm. I don't. I completely approve of it this season because yeah, sixty games. It's a wild card season anyways for all teams you can't really judge the performance of any team accurately based on how they perform this year and I yeah let's make it more crazy let's make it more exciting but overall if this was a regular season I'm conflicted about expanded playoffs as I said because yeah the the expanded postseason means more money for the owners it means more money for the players it means more money for the broadcasters, it, it it's just better business for baseball overall. But at the same time, from a actual quality of play standpoint and from a fan standpoint, I'm not sure if I like it more because I like that the, the fact that the postseason is selective. I like it that as much as it hurts, the Blue Jays didn't make the postseason for, what, 21, 22 years? Like, And then the amount of emotion that we had when the Blue Jays actually did make the postseason was incredible. So I think adding more teams into the mix kind of degrades that joy of actually getting to the postseason and all of a sudden the accomplishment isn't getting to the postseason, it's getting far into the postseason, which, you know, maybe that's not a bad thing, but I am conflicted over whether I approve of it and um, I, I, I... Adding 16 teams, like, whatever, that's fine because, you know, it was either really, like, 12 teams or 16 teams because it has to be an even number, and then you can't have 14 teams because it can't be seven teams for each league because that's just a mess. So it had to be 12 or 16, and I guess 16 is a better option. Um, But, again, I'm not totally on board with expanding things. I guess it's just... You know, for your opinion, I guess it's just something that you have to see first before you approve of it. Uh, I just get excited because <clears throat> I just I th- I think it just drives more teams being competitive, and I just you know I don't you know I I'm sure you know not everyone loves tanking, and unfortunately in baseball, um, about half of the league tanks. You know, in in terms of this cycle, so it'll be interesting interesting to see though, you know how how much you know how seriously teams take this in terms of if they if they want to be competitive. And if not, you know, there's definitely situations uh, or possibilities that teams with a losing record will get in this year. You can't rule that out. But that'll also be interesting to see how serious teams will take this in terms of tanking or rebuilding. You know, will teams not be, you know, maybe teams won't be phased by it. And if they know if they make the playoffs, oh, well, we're still rebuilding. It doesn't change our development. And uh, it only helps it out. But I, I see, you know, just more of a competitive drive. But, hey, I'm all on board, too, with what, what you're thinking in terms of you kind of have to see it first. And, you know, when you just hear about it uh, before you see it, it's kind of, you know, it's definitely conflicting. You have your pros and cons and you just don't know how you feel about it. But, you know, I don't know. I just, compared to the other sports, it's around 16 teams for the other sports, uh, for like for hockey and basketball. So I I think that, you know, they, well, first of all, one of the reasons too is probably because of the more playoff money. We all know that most of the money, if not all of it, is coming from postseason TV deals. So you can see why they're doing it, especially in a year like this year, but I just, you know, the word around it and the vibe that you're getting around it is, you know, if, if this is a success, it's here to stay. So, you know, there was so many possibilities that we were hearing about first. There was even a possibility that, or uh, one of the one of the rumors was the, um, you know, one of the teams would have to, or the top-seeded teams would choose their opponents. I don't know if you saw that, Mark. That was like one of, in in the early stages of the negotiations, but... 
I don't know how I felt about that. When I looked at that, I was, you know, I was definitely a little bit skeptical. I'm just glad that they're doing it based off of seeding. Thank God they're not going too crazy and, you know, over the top. But, hey, I'm all, you know, I completely understand if you, you know, how you feel about it and if you kind of have to see it first. And I'm, I'm sure everyone wants to see it first before they approve. You know, me, my, myself, I can, you know, I can be happy with it now. But then once October comes... I could definitely change my mind about it if you know once we actually see it. So I completely understand your point of view, but I just think it's um, a major. You know, I think it's better for the game. But who knows? And uh, like I said, who knows how many teams will take it seriously in terms of if they want to be more competitive than usual. Yeah, thinking about it now, kind of in the abstract, I don't like it. But then, if I think about the possibility of the Blue Jays making the postseason this year, even if it is you know with sixteen teams, and even if it is a sixty-game season. I'm really excited about that. Like, I have said previously that I don't know how excited or sad I'm going to be no matter how the Blue Jays perform because it is kind of a really weird season. But, you know, watching the first two games and being hanging on every single moment because you know it's only 60 games and every moment matters is so exciting. And it makes it... I think the reward is going to be huge. So maybe rationally thinking in the abstract, I don't like expanded postseason but I, I think if if I look at the actual you know practical implications of it if the Blue Jays get in I think I'll be all for it um, which is certainly as you said it's going to come down to you know seeing it in action and whether I approve of it or not but I mean I guess we'll be talking about that in a few months and hopefully the Blue Jays will be part of that conversation but getting back to some real baseball stuff right now um, we talked last week about the starting rotation and then this week of course, the roster came out. We found out that Nate Pearson wasn't on the roster. Jamie Campbell of Sportsnet reported that he's going to be called up on the 29th of July. So just a few days from now is when he'll be making the Major League roster. Um, Thomas Hatch is starting today, which is, I I guess, very weird. <laughs> not, not, neither of us anticipated that, but he's starting today. And then Trent Thornton is tomorrow in the opener against the... Washington Nationals, and then Tanner Rourke is after that. Um, so I don't know if there was any really big surprises in terms of the roster and in terms of what the starting rotation is. I'm disappointed Anthony Kay is not starting today instead of Thomas Hatch. I with I, I wish Kay was starting and then Thomas Hatch was kind of taking, I guess they're calling it a bulk reliever role, just taking a bunch of innings after the opener slash starter. I, I wish Anthony Kay was the opener and starter and Thomas Hatch was a bulk role, um, but I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, well, you were the one that said, Mark, um, <clears throat> last week when we were project, projecting the, the starting rotation, you, you said you were, you know, you said Nate Pearson would be going down because of the service time thing, and, you know, the one that, the guy that you said that you wanted to see out of the fifth spot, or whoever, you know, that, that spot in the rotation was Anthony Kay himself, so... I don't know how many I don't know how many innings you know Hatch is supposed to go today, but uh, they de- I think Montoyo said after the game that Anthony Kay was likely to make an appearance today, but you know it's probably going to be somewhat of a bullpen game. I know Tampa Bay is going to be doing the same thing with Blake Snell. He's only supposed to go two or three innings anyway, so it's that it's probably going to be a bullpen day for both players or sorry for both teams. But uh, not surprising with Pearson. I think it's around around Wednesday he's lined up to start, so it's perfect. I think he's even with the team. You know, there's no reason for him to be at the alternate training site right now anyway. But, you know, in terms of Thomas Hatch, he's making his MLB debut this afternoon, so that'll be interesting, and, you know, you hope that he does well. And uh, Anthony Cade, I guess, 
you know, I I guess they didn't do it for you know I I don't know why he's not starting. I guess they're just being creative, and trying to be as strategic as possible, which is definitely uh, likely. But uh, Anthony K, hopefully he can also impress today too, because first of all, that's that spot's going to be taken by Nate Pearson eventually, and then there's another player like Ryan Barucki who we don't know where the heck he's going to fit in. So there's a lot of opportunity for the guy, you know, these guys today. And uh, yeah, Hatch is. I think he was available in the bullpen yesterday. I, I don't know what the heck's going on with the that fifth starter spot, but definitely creativity from uh, the Jays for that, but it definitely seems like they're just being as creative as possible until Pearson's ready on Wednesday, you know, that full week, and then they get the extra year of service time, so you can understand why. But, you know, Anthony Kay, he's, I believe he's going to pitch today, so hopefully he impresses along with Hatch. You want to see these guys, you know, you want to see these guys uh, perform, and then the question will be is where do they fit on the roster uh, once Pearson's activated, and then another guy, someone like Barucki. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different moving parts to this, and it is kind of confusing. I think the rationale that was given for Hatch starting is that he's a right-hander, so Kevin mm-hmm. Cash, manager of the Rays, is going to start a lot of left-handed guys, but then bringing in Anthony Kay after him, who is left-handed, Kevin Cash is going to be faced with some difficult decisions over whether you know to take his starters out of the lineup and replace them with you know, right-handed hitters or, you know, the, the kind of strategy involved with that, which I guess makes sense. I'm, I'm just emotionally disappointed that Anthony Kay isn't starting. But, yeah, there's a lot of decisions coming up for the Blue Jays because you have Barucki, who Charlie Montoyo said would be coming up, and he implied that he would be getting a starting role, which is I'm really happy with that news, but it also leaves questions of, you know, where do these guys go? If Baraki is coming up, if Pearson is coming up, and if both of them are coming into the rotation, what happens to Thornton? What happens to Hatch? What happens to Anthony Kay? Where do you find space on the roster for all these guys? Do you send someone like A.J. Cole or Brian Moran down to the alternate training site? Um, it, it opens up a lot of questions over where you find space in the roster and where you find space in, space in the starting rotation to put these guys. Here's another name for you, too. What happens to Chase Anderson, who was supposed to be making the team? Yeah. And he is supposed, you know, he's supposedly close to returning. And that's another player. So that's what, first of all, if you add Pearson and Barucki to the rotation now, that's six players. And then if you add Anderson, you know, in terms of him having a spot, I know he easily could lose it. That's seven players. So, you know, that's a lot of moves that lies ahead for this team. And then, of course, the roster is going to be shrinking in a couple weeks. So a lot of moving parts, a lot. And I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe they're going to be evaluating uh, Thornton on a, like, maybe a start-to-start basis. You have to imagine that Pearson's going to get at least a few starts but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Thornton has a few starts and he struggles that he's quickly taken out and then, you know, replaced by somebody like Barucki or uh, Anderson. Maybe they do a six-man rotation for a bit. I don't know what the, the heck they have planned. Maybe Barucki goes to the bullpen, but if you're saying that he's going to be getting a starting spot, that just leaves even more questions. And then that comes to the point where you don't even know what the heck's going to happen because there's so many players that are set to join the rotation or set to become healthy and Pearson set to be called up. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is here. Uh, this is something that I don't think we haven't we haven't seen in a few years. Usually, usually a fifth starting spot's between about two or three guys, but here we have almost four or five pitchers, you know, for one spot or two spots. Yeah, so I guess in in terms of Thomas Hatch and you know players like Anthony Kay, you would imagine they'd be bullpen pieces, but then who go? Who's the odd man out in a couple weeks when the rosters shrink by two, and then? 
you know, how what's the leash on Trent Thornton before they want to go elsewhere? And then, you know, Trent Thornton, I think he's I think he's here to stay on the big club. So the worst case scenario for him, he would move to the bullpen. And then Ryan Barucki too, he'd probably be on a start to start basis in terms of that can change as quick as possible. He can go to the bullpen in a heartbeat. I think there's more I think there's more of a leash with Nate Pearson unless uh, he struggles a lot. Uh, he did look nervous in the Boston game, but I think he settled down after that, so I wasn't too worried about it. And, of course, it was an exhibition game. But lots of moving parts. Chase Anderson, first of all, who you traded for, who was supposed to make the rotation. What's going to happen with him? So, wow, there's a, I, don't, I don't even know. But, you know, my head's spinning right now. I don't even know what the heck to think. Um, you know, Mark, what do you think about that? Even Chase Anderson, someone that people have kind of forgotten about. Yeah, I, like, there's, <laughs> I, I do not envy Ross Atkins in making these decisions like you can't just throw everyone in the bullpen like these guys are all they're all stretched out they're all meant to throw you know five six innings you can't just throw them all in the bullpen because you already have two long relievers in Sam Gavilio and Shun Yamaguchi so like there's no place to put them that's right and I I guess a decision is made easier if someone doesn't pitch well like if Trent Thornton goes out there and you know just I don't know, gives up three home runs in the first inning, gets yanked out of the game, like, then it's easier. You send him down, you bring Pearson up, but then, like you said, you have Anderson, you have Barucki, you have Anthony Kay, you have now Thomas Hatch. Um, it's it's very confusing, and I don't think Thomas Hatch is staying in the rotation at all. I think he's just kind of a one-time fit for the rotation, but there's lots of different moving parts, and like you said, my head is spinning cont- thinking about all the different parts of this and all the decisions that have to be made but i guess we will find out hopefully by next week pearson is up we have some more clarity on these issues but until then thank you to everyone who listened to this episode as always you can rate and review us on itunes and you can follow us to stay up to date on all of our episodes at section 138 pod that's on twitter and instagram thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time